Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Congratulations, true crime addicts. We have survived another week. It is Friday, June 10th, 2022. Summer's upon us. It's time to celebrate. You're still alive. Good for you. Uh, Let's get to the top stories. Uh, These are the top true crime stories from around the world. Brought to you by me, James Renner. Ding. Before we get started, uh, first of all, let me just tease this a little bit. I have, it's like a mishmash of bizarre stories this week. Some great cold case updates later in the show. Some really weird news. A very odd unsolved mystery. You're you're, you're not going to want to miss it. the The biggest story this week, again, of course, is uh, Uvalde. But I'm not gonna. I'm not considering that one of the top three stories that I go through the the first half of the show. Uh, I think we've all had plenty of news regarding Uvalde. We don't need more, but I just want to say I hope everybody watched Matthew McConaughey's speech at the White House in front of the press corps. If you haven't, check it out. It is masterful and heartfelt. It, it was wonderful to watch. Matthew McConaughey, of course, is from Uvalde and, and is a gun owner. Listen to what he has to say. Uh, they also released audio of a young girl speaking uh, about how she survived the shooting by covering herself with the blood of one of her friends. I mean, tragic stuff. Um, so it's good to keep up on that, but I'm not going to rehash it here. I want to tell you about this bizarre fugitive case that's ongoing. And it, it just kind of gets crazier and crazier. 34-year-old white woman named Caitlin Marie Armstrong. She's from Austin, Texas. She's managed to elude marshals and the police and FBI and everybody that's been looking for her for about a month now. She's still on the run. 
you, you got to check out her picture online. See if you recognize her. She's she's running because she believes, and probably likely likely so, she's going to be charged with murder. Yeah, for the uh, the murder of an expert cyclist named Anna Maria uh, uh, Moriah. Sorry, Anna Moriah Wilson. Let me back up a little bit and tell you the story if you haven't heard of it yet. So this uh, Anna Mariah Wilson, she she goes by Mo. She's known as Mo to her friends. She's this award-winning cyclist. Uh, before that, she was an expert skier. She's she's a trained athlete. She's very good at what she does. She had already won 10 races this year and was preparing for this 157-mile bicycle race in Texas, according to CNN. But uh, a couple days before that race, on May 11th, someone shot and killed Mo at a friend's house when she answered the door. Police reviewed security cameras from the area, noticed a car that seemed to match one driven by Caitlin Armstrong. Why were they looking at her to begin with? Let me tell you why. Armstrong's this 34-year-old woman on the run. She was in a relationship. She has been in a relationship with a professional cyclist named Colin Strickland. And she and Colin separated briefly last fall. And during that window, Colin dated Mo and had this romantic relationship. And then he reconciled with uh, Caitlin. And stop seeing Mo. Well, according to people that have spoken to the police, Caitlin was jealous and believed that they were actually still seeing each other on the day of the murder. And Strickland denies that, by the way. So does so does Mo's family. On the day of the murder, though, Mo went out to dinner with Colin, and Colin dropped her off after dinner at a friend's house. A short time later, that's when Mo was found dead of multiple gunshot wounds matching a caliber of gun that Caitlin had access to. And after noticing this car that matched the type that Caitlin drove, police brought her in for questioning. They arrested her. And here's a little hang-up, though. The arrest affidavit that they had had a typo. had to do with Caitlin's birthday. It didn't quite match with the official record, so they had to let her go. Caitlin then immediately fled. On May 14th, Caitlin took a plane from Austin into LaGuardia. That takes you into New York City. I think LaGuardia is technically in Queens, though, but that's where you fly in through, if you want. Uh, so what happened after that? May 14th, we know she's she's flowing, uh, she had flown into LaGuardia. Well, this week, just yesterday, or Wednesday, that is, Marshalls released footage that showed Caitlin at Newark Liberty International Airport on May 18th. So four days after she flew into LaGuardia, somebody drops her off at Newark Airport. That's across the river in Jersey. That airport, you can get, really, you can go anywhere in the world from that airport, I believe. She's not been seen since. Now, they checked the names of everybody that boarded on planes that day. And, of course, Caitlin's name was not in there. It's possible she's using a fake ID. How far did she get? Where in the world 
is Caitlin. If you know, you could uh, call that tip in. They're offering a $5,000 reward right now. I don't think it'll be too difficult to find her. She's got very specific. She's got a very specific look. She's got this curly red hair, unless she completely changes her appearance. I don't know. Why are you running? You're. I I, I just don't understand. In this day and age, you're not gonna get very far. So that's a developing story. Let's jump over here to Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Radar Online is reporting details about this young man who was arrested yesterday, or Wednesday, um, early Wednesday morning, around 1 a.m. He's been arrested and uh, charged with a federal count of attempted murder related to the Supreme Court Justice Brett, Brett, Brett Kavanaugh. Here, here's what happened. So Nick, this, this kid's name, well, he's not a kid, he's 26 years old, young man. His name's Nicholas John Roski, R-O-S-K-E, Roski. He, he arrived in a taxi outside Kavanaugh's home in, in Maryland. He had found his address online. There's people that post his address online, threatening, just like everybody does these days. And uh, so he took a taxi to Kavanaugh's home, got out around 1 a.m., and there were marshals hanging around there, I'm guessing providing security. Uh, they saw him get out of the car, and you know he looks at them and realizes they're police of some sort and gets scared and walks away. He's got a backpack and a suitcase with him. A short time later, this is an interesting detail. So Nicholas himself calls 911. And says he's having suicidal thoughts. And tells them he's come from California to kill the Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Police responded immediately, obviously. They found Nicholas still on the phone with 911. Took his backpack and suitcase. Inside that backpack, they found a knife, a Glock 17 with two magazines. Pepper spray, zip ties, hammer, duct tape, crowbar. All the kind of bad stuff you look for. Nicholas told officers he was upset over the leaked draft regarding Roe v. Wade being overturned later this year and recent and the recent shootings in Uvalde. Uh, Congress was quick to respond for once. Mitch McConnell, who played the turtle in The NeverEnding Story, uh, asked for stronger protections right away for Supreme Court justices. Democrats stood up and said, hey, uh, yeah, that, that sounds great, but uh, how about we work on, uh, you know, security for these school kids out in Texas first? And everybody turned it into a political thing. And And again, everybody's right and everybody's wrong. I definitely believe that Kavanaugh, even though I, I don't agree with many of his ideals and policies definitely should be protected this is he is a um you you got to stop looking at these as individual people and see them as the institution they they really are and it does deserve respect and should be protected as well as the kids in texas for god's sakes everybody needs protected here and seems like the common theme here is guns now I, I think it's really interesting that Nicholas called 911 and essentially turned himself in. I'm interested to see if that that helps him in the long run, uh, uh, you know. 
that's a sad case. We'll see the we'll see how it develops in court. Uh, Tampa police are in trouble. This week, three police officers from uh, I'm sorry, that's Tempe, Tempe, Arizona. Three police officers from Tempe, Arizona, have been placed on leave this week. Why? What did they do? Nothing good. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about it, right? Here's what happened. They 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 let a black man drown to death while they watched. They responded. These officers responded to a call at 5 a.m. outside the Tempe Center for the Arts, where they found this 34-year-old man. His name was uh, Sean Bickings. This is according to NPR. Bickings was uh, with his girlfriend at the time, or his partner. He's described in the report as unsheltered, which probably means homeless. There's no sign of a crime, but when these officers responded, they asked for his name and began running it through their system to see if he had any outstanding warrants. At that time, Bickings climbed a metal fence and descended an embankment that led down to the Tempe Town Lake, and he jumped in. He said, hey, I'm going to go for a swim. But he gets in the water, doesn't realize how deep it is, and begins to struggle. He can't touch the bottom. And he starts shouting up to the police. And these police officers, are you you have some footage from this, and they're, they're on this like little bridge thing looking down at him as he begins to struggle. And you can, at some point in this footage, you'll hear him, you can hear him say, I'm drowning. He knew what was going to happen. To which the officer responds, quote, Okay, I'm not jumping in after you, end quote. Bickings then yells out, I can't touch. Oh, God, please help me. Slips under the water, drowns while they watch. They restrain this girlfriend, keep her from trying to save him. So... Again, you have this weird situation where the police that you expect to protect you, like in Uvalde, they they just stand and wait. Um, I'm not sure what's going on, but it's it's beginning to seem like a little bit of an epidemic, and maybe a response to people suing the police. They don't want to put themselves out there and and get themselves mixed up in this and then it just becomes 10 times worse for them. So anyways, look for I mean I don't know if that's going to start any riots down in Tempe, but that is going to be a bigger and bigger story as the weeks progress. So uh yeah, check that out. Hey, I'll be right I've got some wild stories coming up on these cold case updates and uh, some great genetic genealogy news. I'll be back in two and two. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And welcome back to My Two Dads, starring Stacey Keenan. Hey, have you guys tried this Magic Mind yet? I mentioned it last week. I've been drinking this little potion alongside my daily coffee. It's it's all legal, by the way. It's totally legit. I've been drinking it alongside my daily coffee for a couple weeks now, and it, I've noticed better cognition and energy throughout my morning. Magic Mind is a mix of nootropics and adaptogens, like lion's mane and cordyceps mushrooms. These help with clarity of mind. The more we learn about mushrooms, by the way, the more amazing they really seem to be. But don't be scared. It, they don't taste like the mushrooms your mom made you eat, those mushrooms from a can that she put in, like, hamburger helper. It's not like that. This Magic Mind has, like, a lemony matcha flavor. Anyways, if you're interested in diving in into this mushroom revolution, give it a try and let me know how it works for you. Shoot me an email. You can order your own Magic Mind drinks at magicmind.co. That's magicmind.co backslash crime week. Use my discount code crimeweek20 for a 20% discount on a single purchase or 40% on a subscription. Here's a cold case update for you. Baby Holly Marie, who's been missing for 40 years, has been found alive and well. I love it when we get some good news here. Let's go back, though. Back through time. The mystery of Holly Marie, baby Holly Marie, it actually starts in 1980, when a young couple, Harold Dean Klaus and his wife Tina Lynn, 
disappeared along with their daughter, Holly. They were from this town, uh, New Smyrna, Florida. They were moving to Texas. They disappeared shortly thereafter. It was very hard to keep track of anybody back in 1980. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have email. We'd had phone numbers. We would write letters to each other. Dean, they say, was a bit of a free spirit. And this is according to a really great article from the Houston Chronicle, which you can, which I've linked to at the end. He liked to pick up hitchhikers, which wasn't so uncommon back then. And in the 70s, he joined a cult for a little while. And he used to disappear for a week here and there. No big deal. One day, he borrowed his mother's car, put Tina and Holly in it, and they headed towards Texas. His family got a letter not too long after that, and it was from Dean and Tina, and they had found a place to stay outside of Dallas. Those letters stopped in October 1980, and they never heard from them again. And all this time, the family's been wondering what happened to Dean, what happened to Tina. A few months after they disappeared in 1980, the family got a call from a man in, in California. Um, this man had found their car. Three women dressed in white robes drove it from California back to Florida and delivered it back to the family. One of these women was ID'd as uh, going by the name Sister Susan. She said Dean had joined their cult and he didn't want anything to do with the family anymore. Meanwhile, on January 6, 1981, the bodies of a man and woman were discovered in a field 11 miles east of Houston, Texas. The man had been beaten to death, and the woman had been strangled. This, of course, was Dean and Tina, but nobody would connect the two mysteries until just last fall, when genealogists from Identifinders International finally ID'd the pair as Dean and Tina. But then the question became, where the hell was Holly, right? They feared the worst. They thought maybe predators had taken. It was a, you know, a child, small body, and they just couldn't find it. That's what they thought. That work, by the way, the DNA, uh, this Identifinders International, that did excellent work and ID'd Dean and Tina, that was underwritten by none other than Ashley Flowers in Audio Chuck, who's also a um, who also donates to the Porchlight Project, which is so she's doing excellent work. Here's the rest of the story. After they identified Dean and Tina, the police dove back into it and scoured records from across the country, adoption records, and that led them to Holly herself, who was living in Oklahoma. She'd been living there for 20 years. She'd had, uh, since then, over that time, she's had five children and two grandchildren. And she had been given up for adoption and been raised by a very nice uh, uh, couple and had a what seems like a really decent life after all this. But there's so many questions now. This is a mystery that is just getting bigger and bigger because... Who gave her up for adoption? Was it Dean and Tina? Or was it somebody posing as Dean and Tina? And who killed Dean and Tina? Was it related to the cult? 
Was that just some sort of weird coincidence? Why were they killed? What happened there? This is a fascinating case. I'm sure you're going to see movies made about this one day. So, anyways, welcome back, Baby Holly. A little update in the Kristen Smart case. Lawyers for Paul Flores, that's the man who's been accused of murdering Kristen Smart. His lawyers tried to get his charges tossed this week by complaining about a podcast. The judge said, no way. Go pound salt. Uh, uh, to refresh your memory, Kristen Smart was a freshman at California Polytechnic State University. And on May 25th, 1996, she, a friend, uh, she attended a friend's birthday party. She was found passed out on the lawn at 2 a.m. A couple students picked her up and started walking her towards her dorm, helping her out. And then a third good Samaritan, a young man named Paul Flores, joined them. And he said, hey, I, I, I got it from here. I'll make sure she gets home safely. So the other two people left. And then uh, Kristen Smart was never seen again. He was charged in her murder last year. And it's a rare, it's one of these rare no-body homicide cases. And these are becoming a little more common, but they, they are still extremely rare. It's very rare for somebody to be charged in a crime where there's no no body. You know, we, they're, they're charged with murder, but there's, there's no body to look towards. Uh, although I believe in this case there is some evidence that links them. But, um, I mean, we're talking about, I think only like a couple hundred cases like this have been, ever been tried in the history of the United States. I looked into the statistics of this for an episode of The Philosophy of Crime, and uh, you know, it's like, Something like 0.01% of cases ever ever get to um, an indictment. But once you get that indictment, once you bring them to trial, the success rate of a no-body homicide case is actually 86%. So once you get them to trial, your odds go way up. It's getting it to that point that's difficult. Forrest's attorney wanted the case tossed out, be, uh, he said, for outrageous government conduct after a sheriff's detective turned info over to a podcast. Now, the podcast isn't named, but the podcast Your Own Backyard is credited for breaking the case and breathing new life into Kristen Smart's mystery, which led to the arrest of Flores and his father. Nice try, though. The pillowcased rapist has been caught. This is your genetic genealogy update. And you look at his pictures, you see this, yeah, just another creepy old man in a bulletproof vest in court this week. Looks a lot like uh, Joseph D'Angelo after he was caught for the Golden State killings. Police were looking for a serial rapist connected to the 1984 assault of a woman in Pompano Beach, Florida. This guy got into her home, attacked her, and then put a pillowcase on his head while he assaulted her, so she couldn't see his face. This is a very similar M.O. to a lot of other rapes in the area from back then. Prosecutors say maybe as many as 45. This guy was never caught until very recently. He's uh, the 62-year-old man. His name is Robert Eugene Kaler, according to the Washington Post. 
They didn't have to go far to find him, though. He's already in custody for a separate 1983 rape out of Miami-Dade County. He was only connected to that one through genetic genealogy in 2020. Uh, the prosecution, although they believe he's responsible for as many as 45 rapes and assaults in the area, they want a quick conviction, so they're only charging him with this one 1984 case. He's going to be in prison for the rest of his life anyways. But I, I do hope they officially close out those other cases instead of leaping, leaving it open-ended. He's a very creepy guy. He stalked these women for some time before the attacks because he knew their names and knew the layout of their houses. So very dangerous man uh, behind bars. I found a really weird unsolved mystery on Reddit that I want to tell you about. This over on Unresolved, the subreddit. Uh, this is from user... And this is my favorite part of the Reddit stories because I, I have to credit them. Um, and they should be credited. But they all, always go by silly usernames. Well, th this case comes from us, uh, from user Obilon Kenobi. This is, the, uh, this is a case out of Japan from December 30th, 2000. This is the day that the entire Miyazawa family was murdered in their Tokyo home, the entire family, one night. 44-year-old Mikio, 41-year-old Yasuko, their daughter Nina, and their son Ray. And here's, here's where it gets weird. The killer stayed in the house for 2 to 10 hours after the murders. During this time, he used the family's computer. He drank four bottles of barley tea, ate a melon, and four ice creams. The killer also used their toilet without flushing and treated his injuries using a first aid kit. And then he took a nap on their sofa, second floor living room. All their drawers and papers were ransacked. Money was taken, but more was left behind. The killer left 10 items behind on the family sofa. These included a knife, a muffler, a sweater, a jacket, hat, gloves, an analysis of the family computer showed that it had been connected to the internet the morning after the family was murdered at 1.18 a.m. and again around 10 a.m. The thing that's always been strange to me, says Obi-Wan Kenobi, is that this fact that they found trace amounts of sand, and this is, this, this, I found this to be weird too. This is why I'm telling you about this. This is one little clue. Police found trace amounts of sand Inside a hip bag, I'm guessing that's kind of like a fanny pack, right? Inside a hip bag left behind by the killer. They, an they analyze the sand. Sand's very particular to place and, and location. And the police determined that the sand had come from the Nevada desert, specifically the area around Edwards Air Force Base, California. Is this uh, somebody with the Army? The police were able to find the killer's DNA and fingerprints throughout the house. Unfortunately, it has not matched anyone in their database, meaning the killer did not have a criminal record. It's time for some genetic genealogy, guys. This, By the way, this is one of those cases in Japan that led to the lifting of the statute of limitations for murder, which was finally rescinded in uh, 2010. 
odd to think that there'd be a statute of limitation on murder anywhere, but yeah, up until very recently. What was the motive for this thing? How crazy was that killer to hang around and eat stuff and take a nap? It really, it, it, my first in, instinct is this, this screams like, uh, like a schizophrenic, like a, like a weird homeless person with a, a serious mental issue. Uh, some people believe it was a hit, you know, like maybe Yakuza or something, but the family didn't have any ties to that, that world. Mikio, the, the father, worked for Interbrand, which is a London marketing firm. What about the sand, though? That's weird. That's weird. That's going to be what, what kind of connects everything, I bet, eventually. Over to pop culture. The Staircase is finishing up on HBO. I hope you've been following it. It's excellent. Can't recommend it enough. And I hope you're also listening to the companion podcast, The Staircase Podcast. Easy enough to remember, right? Check it out. They discuss the show and how it's developing and the mystery itself and all sorts of things. Uh, I'm plugging it because I'm a guest on, I believe it's the episode coming up this week. So check it out, The Staircase Podcast. Checking the charts, this is the top true crime podcasts, according to Chartable.com. In at number two, Morbid. Morbid podcast. Now, I have to I have to say, I've never listened to Morbid. The reason I know about it at all is through Reddit. And I don't know what's going on over there. But they've got a lot of haters, and I feel for them. <laughs> <laughs> I know what it's like, man. Um, but if you're at number two, you got to be doing something right. So I think I'm going to give him a listen. This is the write-up. It's a lighthearted nightmare in here, weirdos. Morbid is a true crime creepy history and all things spooky podcast hosted by an autopsy technician and a hairstylist. Join us for a heavy dose of research with a dash of comedy thrown in for flavor I know that's part of the issue is, you know, doing a true crime podcast and trying to make it a little comedic or, you know, crack jokes sometimes. You got to do that, folks. We, 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 I don't know. We're taking ourselves way too seriously here. I know these are real people and real stories and people being affected. But we got we to gotta laugh at the world sometimes, the absurdity of it. So I'm, I'm going to check them out. Um, at number 23 is Piketon Massacre, and I'm still fascinated with that story, if you haven't heard it. So, so give them a listen. They deserve to be a little higher up there. And that's the news for this week's uh, folks. Um, and here we are on Friday, and in the words of the incomparable Murray Saul, the godfather of Cleveland Radio, We gotta, 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 gotta. Gotta, 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 gotta. Oh, let me catch my breath. Get down. Damn it. True Crime This Week is a fearful symmetry production. Our theme music is Trash Town Boogie by Mr. Smith, used under a Creative Commons license for use in this show. All sources are listed in the liner notes at the end of this episode. If you like the cut of my jib, please check out my other podcast, Philosophy of Crime. 
Unless quoted directly from a source, all content should be considered the opinion of the host. That's me, James Renner. See you next week.